0: All right, this morning we are going to visit the story of a Bible character that I consider to be a a bit of an unsung hero. And I must admit that I had way too much fun studying for this message. Uh, I have a great time preparing for each message that I preach here. They all benefit me greatly, and I hope some of you as well. But there was uh, something special about this one. Uh, We're going to look at a character that I had almost forgotten about. You're going to need a Bible this morning, so if you don't have one with you, Go ahead and put your hand up. Our ushers are ready to get you one that you can use during the sermon this morning. Um, This is a a time when you're going to need one for sure. Things are going to be a little bit different in this sermon this morning Um, just because we are going to spend um, the vast majority of the sermon time in the Word, looking right at this story almost in its entirety. Um, It is a a great story, and what it's going to do is it's going to set us up for this series, it's going to set us up at least for next Sunday when we'll start to break down a little bit of what we heard about um, this Sunday, what we hear about this morning. So um, I want you to, to be able to jump right into this and, and follow along. Uh, this series is called The Optimist Club. Now, one quick clarification. This is not going to be a series on how your positive attitude can change the world. It's going to be about how your perspective, founded in faith, that will then affect your attitude, can change the world. And the name, The Optimist Club, uh, comes by way of a group of seasoned life troopers that my mother-in-law is a part of out in Michigan. I loved the name, so I stole it and changed it just a little bit to stay legal. Our unsung hero is a man named Caleb. Caleb. And this morning, I want to look at his story Uh, I was researching the topic of optimism in my Bible resources, and I came across his name. And so I went back and I read his story, and as I did, found myself drawn in so much that I had to make him the main character of our sermon today. Uh, Now some of you are possibly thinking, oh yeah, okay, Caleb, I know who Caleb is, I got it down, and and you're going to be a little bored, and it's going to be repetitive. But honestly, unless you can say that you are living with a Caleb-like faith, And please do pay attention this morning. So let me set up the story. Israel had escaped from Egypt, thanks to God and Moses. They were in the wilderness. And it was called the wilderness because it was land that could not be cultivated. They were not going to be able to grow anything there. That kind of land was only suitable for tending flocks of animals. And that's exactly what God did with Israel for a very long time. He tended them like sheep in the wilderness. Now, they had come through a place called Sinai. And at Sinai, Moses received the Ten Commandments. And then they traveled from Sinai to Kadesh. And this is where our story begins. Kadesh was not a good landmark for the Israelites. Kadesh is the place that's pictured on the slide. That's going to be the background for our slides this morning. That is a current day picture of Kadesh, the area that we're talking about. So what happened in Kadesh was about two years into their wandering, and not much is written about the time after leaving Kadesh, but this story is about what happens in Kadesh and then after the post-Kadesh wanderings. In the two years leading up to Kadesh, the complaining on the part of the Israelites had already begun, and so God sent them a little warning by lighting the perimeter of their camp on fire. Now, that should have been enough to get their attention Moses comes to God on behalf of his people, and God puts out the fire. But the complaining continued. And what was most of the complaining about? The food. Now, I understand that manna was not the easiest thing to deal with. Uh, We often see manna from our our stories growing up and stuff. We often see manna as this bread or bread-like substance that fell from heaven, and all they had to do was pick it up and shove it in their mouths. Easy, right? Well, not so much. Manna was actually a seed. It was a very small seed, the size of a small coriander seed. It was small, and it appeared on the ground on top of the dew that settled there every morning. So the Israelites had to collect these tiny seeds that's hard work. And then they had to crush those seeds into a flower. That's hard work, and then then, then they had to make bread out of that flour, also hard work but God promised them that he was leading them to a land of plenty so just ride this out and God will deliver right after all he had delivered them from the Egyptians in such a way that they could not possibly deny the fact that it was God and God alone doing the delivering but no they had to complain why can't we just have some meat wine 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 So Moses stands up for them, and this is how God responds. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Numbers. Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Fourth book of the Bible, and about as far as I got when I was a kid in memorizing the books of the Bible. After that, it just went crazy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. James. (laughs) It was whatever came to mind at that point. Numbers chapter 11. Numbers 11, and we are going to begin at verse 18. Numbers 11, verses 18 to 20. Tell the people, this is God speaking now. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? Okay. Okay. Go down to verse 31. Verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits, three feet, or more correctly, one meter, deep all around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction. Just try to picture that. Three feet deep of dead quail, as far around them and as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibroth Hathava because there they buried the people who had craved other food. And basically what God is saying here is, Israel, my people, please pay attention. And on they go from there to the wilderness of Paran to a place called Kadesh. Now go to chapter 13, Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders okay so here's who went it's coming up on the screen I'm not gonna read these verses because it'll be embarrassing for me and distracting for you if I try to pronounce all these names this is the way it's laid out in the New Living Translation the text is the same but just arranged differently and it makes a better slide so here it is these are the tribes and the leaders that were chosen to represent each of those tribes Note two names on the list. From the tribe of Judah comes Caleb, our, our hero, the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Ephraim comes Hoshea, son of Nun. Now Moses changed Hoshea's name to Joshua. That's a name that we know well. Hoshea meant desire for salvation. Joshua meant the Lord is salvation. And that is significant to our message in that by giving Joshua his new name, Moses reminds him of who it is that's fighting for him. Okay, chapter 13, verse 17. Verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. And it was the season for the first ripe grapes. Okay, so these twelve traveled then they explored they spied out the land they did this for 40 days go to verse 23 when they reached the valley of eshkol they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs that place was called the valley of eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the israelites because of the cluster of grapes the israelites cut off there At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Okay, now get this. At the end of 40 days, they returned from traveling 500 miles. 500 miles. They traveled to both the northern and southern borders of that territory. Now, some have said that that's completely unreasonable for them to have covered that much ground on foot but that's only 12 and a half miles a day, and I will admit with some pain attached to these memories that I have covered 12 and a half miles per day on foot for a period of about, of about eight months in my life, and it is very possible. I was working on a, an exploration, oil exploration crew in northern Canada, and that's what we did on foot, laying out and picking up seismic equipment as we as we went. And so it was quite a journey for them, but very doable, 500 miles in 40 days. Go to verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Okay, it referred to the whole Israelite community. That, by the way, was about two million people. They spoke of a land flowing with milk and honey, and that does not make this Willy Wonka's candy factory. The terms milk and honey refer to the flora and fauna of the land, the plant and animal life. This was a rich and fertile land. And then there's a but, and the but has to do with the people living there, especially the descendants of Anak. Now, last night, I watched the descendants of Anak. I took my son Jude to the Timberwolves game. (laughs) Those guys are big. The descendants of Anak were big, giant big. And that scared the spies. That scared most Of the spies verse 30 then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it okay first of all Caleb shuts up 2 million people and states that they should go and overtake the land they can do it and this is where he becomes my hero We can certainly do this. Not we might be able to pull this off. We can certainly do this. But he doesn't get a hero's response. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Okay, Now look at the cowardly statement about the size of the people occupying the land. The Israelites seemed like grasshoppers in comparison, but in whose eyes? In their own eyes, and probably in the eyes of the Anakites. Whose perspective is missing here? God's perspective is missing. Chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt. Or in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Joshua and Caleb hold their ground and speak of devouring the giants in the promised land. And a clear statement is made, and and I have to think it was Caleb speaking here. Don't be afraid of these people, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. They have only themselves, but we have the Lord on our side. Verse 10. Longer passage this time. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them that I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people, and that you, Lord, have, have been seen face to face. That your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed, just as you have declared, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them, as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, Not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness your bodies will fall. Every one of you, twenty years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole whole wicked community which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in the wilderness. Here they will die. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it, these men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, survived. And thus began a miserable chapter In the life of the nation of Israel. Not much is written about this time period. They wandered and they died. All because they would not put their faith in God's promises. Okay, we move now to the second act of our story. Caleb survived this time in the wilderness. What happened to him? And does he have more to say to us? Turn to the book of Joshua. Two more books past numbers. Turn to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua, chapter 14, verse 1. Now these are the areas the Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel allotted to them. Okay, now go down to verse 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. Okay, now Caleb remembers the promise that God made 40 years earlier. And it was time for that promise to be fulfilled. His faith, his optimistic perspective that flowed out of his faith in God had carried him through 40 rough years. Verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly have we spoken recently about the need to seek God wholeheartedly? Yeah, we have. Go to verse 10. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. Now don't miss the exclamation point at the end of that sentence. Caleb is making a powerful statement that he's about to follow up with some even more powerful words. Verses 11 and 12. Still Caleb speaking. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But, the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Now, not only is the 85-year-old going to fight the giants, he's going to do something unexpected in the long term. He's taking a mountain for his land. Not a lush valley or an agricultural plain. A mountain. After he defeats the giants and takes it over. Okay, do you love this guy as much as I do? Verse 13 Then Joshua blessed Caleb son of Jephunneh and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba after Arba who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. Caleb's faith makes him great, the greatest man to ever live on that land. And when he settled there, there would be rest on that land from war. There would be peace. But we're not done. One more thing I want you to see. It's Caleb's legacy. Go to chapter 15, verse 13. Joshua 15, verse 13. In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion in Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the forefather of Anak. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Sheshai, Aiman and Talmai, the sons of Anak. From there, he marched against the people living in Debir, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. Caleb, the 85-year-old, takes out three sons of Anak, after whom the big, scary people were named. He overthrows them and takes the land for himself and his people. And then he turns his attention to his family's future. Look at how he finds a husband for his daughter. Verse 16. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath's affair. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Aksa to him in marriage. One day when she came to Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, What can I do for you? She replied, Do me a special favor. Since you have given me land in the Negev, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. Caleb finds a faithful, optimistic man to marry his daughter. And he generously provides for them. The Negev was a dry area, and his daughter would need water, and so he gives them two springs to make their land productive. What a legacy. What a legacy. Brothers and sisters, Caleb is the president of the Optimist Club. And his faith in God just puts me to shame. What an example that we have been given in this man's life. Of course, we can do it. Do what? You fill in the blanks. You fill in the blanks. God is on our side, so of course we can do it. Next week, I I will summarize some of the lessons from Caleb's story. Um, Go and read it again yourselves during the week. Let the faith of this man sink in. Because out of his faith flowed an incredibly optimistic perspective. And I pray that God will grant every one of us that kind of faith. This is Communion Sunday. We've been doing some remembering today, and we're going to stay on that course. The other hero that we're going to remember this morning is Jesus Christ. He made this statement in Luke 18, verse 27. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And then what did he do? He proved it by conquering death, by coming back to life after being dead and in the grave. And how can we, knowing that, ever look at a challenge in our lives that is an obstacle on the way to the fulfillment of the promises of God and think, this is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. If he promised it, It will be fulfilled. And we're going to look at some of his promises next week. And faith is stepping into what is seemingly impossible with a perspective that says, of course we can do this. Of course we can do this. So today we come to take the bread, a symbol of Christ's body that was given, and we come to take the cup, a symbol of Christ's blood that was shed to assure us of God's promises. And we remember and we give thanks. Nothing is impossible because Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. I'm going to ask the elders to come and prepare to serve. Peter and the worship team to come up and prepare to lead us again in worship. Let's pray as they prepare. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your faithfulness. I want to thank you that when you make a promise, you deliver, period. And I want to thank you that we can look back and see throughout history, especially in stories like the one of Caleb, that you deliver and that it is possible to stand in the midst of whatever comes and say, of course we can do this. We can certainly do this. Because, God, you have made us promises that you will keep. Not promises that we just hope in, hoping that they someday come true. Promises that you absolutely will keep. Father, we are thankful for the promised land, our home in heaven. We are thankful that one day we will be there that we will go in and take that land without any fight because the fight's already been fought for us and won and God knowing that we have that place with you help us to never look at something in our own life now and think or say this is impossible nothing is impossible nothing We can define what those Anakites look like for us. Whether it's illness or loss, desperate need, tough circumstances of any kind. Whatever it is we see, we can certainly overcome it. Because the Lord is with us. And I want to thank you for that presence this morning. I want to thank you for making it possible for us to be in your presence through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ.